Hello, welcome back to Meraki Unboxed. My name is Simon Thompson, host of the show. It's great to have you back with us once again in this crazy world that we're living in right now. Uh, this is a work from home edition of Meraki Unboxed, as is uh, the case, I'm sure, for many of you right now. I hope you're doing well, uh, staying safe and maintaining your physical distancing and all of that cool stuff that we're supposed to be doing right now. Uh, we're trying to keep the lights on here with Meraki Unboxed, and we've got a very uh, packed episode for you today where we're going to really see how Meraki is being implemented in what is a substantial school district and how some of the challenges there are overcome with uh, some of the technology we have to offer. Meraki Unboxed is a podcast that we run every couple of weeks. And so if you are not already a subscriber, uh, you will find it in your favorite podcast app. So you can get subscribed there. We also put it up on YouTube and uh, we would love to have you on board. We want to make this as interactive as we can. Uh, and our guest today is somebody who has volunteered to, to join us on the show uh, to be part of this uh, this journey that we're on. And we'd love you to join it as well. So if you would like to share some ideas, then please reach out to us through the Meraki community. That's probably the best place to do it. And you can find that at community.meraki.com. Otherwise, uh, you can reach me directly on Twitter at Meraki Simon is my Twitter handle, and I'm pretty responsive on there, so I'm uh, pretty much on Twitter all day, every day. I do do some work as well, by the way. And uh, so do, do please reach out, say hi, let us know what you think of the show and uh, what you would like to see us uh, show next time. All right, so without further ado, I'm going to get into today's episode, and we're joined by a couple of illustrious gentlemen. Um, first of all, our guest today, uh, Mr. John Fuller. Hi, John. Hey Simon, how are you? I'm doing okay today. It's uh, it's a sunny day here in California. What is it like where you are? Well, it is currently snowing. It's been snowing uh, for the last two days, and we're looking uh, for a cold week in front of us. Ouch! Uh, snow is either a great thing or a bad thing, depending on your perspective. Where do you lie? Right now, I don't think it really matters, as we're all isolated into <laughs> right. our homes. Right, that's a pretty good point. And where are you? Where are you, John? Uh, so I am in Littleton, Colorado, or Jefferson County, uh, just outside of Denver, Colorado. Beautiful part of the country. I absolutely love it there. Oh, um, it is beautiful. All right. And, um, and we'll come right back to you in a second, John. Um, Clint, we also have Clint Russell joining us today. Hey, Clint, how are you? I'm doing great, Simon. Thanks for having me. And where are you located and what do you do? Tell us what you do. Yeah, I am uh, based in Littleton, Colorado as well, actually. Um, I just moved here a few months ago with my wife. Um, I am the uh, Cisco Meraki product specialist covering uh, K-12, higher ed, and uh, state and local government customers in the mountain states and southwest states areas uh, for Cisco Meraki. That's awesome. That's like, you're actually the second Merakian I've heard of who's moved to Colorado recently. It seems like there's a, a bit of a trend going on. It's a great place to live. I traveled through there on a motorcycle back in 2017 on some of the trails going up over the uh, over the Rockies. Absolutely gorgeous up there. I, I miss it. I'd love to go back. All right, let's bring things back to John. John, tell us about who you are here representing today. Want to know? Uh, obviously, uh, we mentioned a school district. Tell us all about that school district. So. I'm John Fuller, and I am a wireless network engineer for Jefferson County Public Schools. Um, our school district is 
Obviously, in the state of Colorado, we are a rather large school district. Geographically speaking, we're about 750 square miles Whoa. with about 85,000 students and I believe around 10,000 employees. Okay, um, that's so, big. Yeah, it can be a little bit challenging uh, to, to hold this role, but uh, it is very, very rewarding. No doubt. Um, and and you are um, one of the larger school districts out there. I mean, we deal with some pretty big ones. Um, how do you rank in the uh, overall in the U.S., just to get a sense? Well, I looked that up a couple of years ago, and obviously the student populace will, will fluctuate, but I believe we rank uh, in the top 20, 30, uh, 29 was the last time I looked that up. So yeah. I don't know how that stat stands today, but... Um, that's pretty substantial. It's pretty substantial. And, and and you've got a lot of school buildings as well. You're taking care of a pretty large estate that's dispersed over that 750 square miles, right? Absolutely. Um, we have around 160 buildings. You have to take into consideration all of our transportation facilities, all of our headquarter facilities, all of our optional schools, special schools, elementary, middle, and high schools. Uh, so we do have a lot of buildings that we, you know, have Meraki at. Mm -hmm. And you look after all of them? How big's your, how big's the team that you're part of? So it is me and my counterpart. Wow. So there's two of us that literally run the entire Meraki infrastructure, um, which is wireless at this point. Now we do have wide area network engineers, uh, we have our VoIP um, people. Mm -hmm. We, you know, there are very many departments. We're a small team, but we're we're a very passionate team. So we we do a, a great job managing such a large uh, county with the resources that we have. Yeah, and and uh, doesn't sound like that would be super easy thing to do. But I'm guessing the technology that you've chosen. I mean, you must be making some choices based on sort of how much effort it takes just to keep the lights on uh, if you've got those kind of resource levels to deal with. Absolutely. Um, when, when it comes to, you know, I'm going to speak more so to the wireless side of things because that's, that's what I specialize in. Um, when it comes to choosing a product, you know, we need to choose a product that as, as, basically has the least amount of hands-on required to troubleshoot it or repair it if it's down. Mm -hmm. So with Meraki, we've avoided a controller-based system. Um, having 160 wireless controllers out there, uh, if any of those experience any sort of catastrophic failure, power failures, uh, major configuration issues, code upgrade went bad, um, that results in a lot of drive time when your county is so big. Mm -hmm. And with wireless being the number one medium that's used to connect anymore, uh, it's become integral to the classrooms, to our facilities. Yeah. Well, I can't even remember the last time I plugged an Ethernet jack in. It's uh, it's now, in fact, you have to have 15 dongles before you can do that now anyway. So <laughs> right. let's, let's do it all on Wi-Fi if we can. So you've been with Meraki for quite a long time, right? How long ago did that journey begin? 
Um, so I was actually brought on as a full-time employee after Meraki had been chosen for the school district. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my experience with Meraki started in 2013. The So about seven years now mm-hmm. that I've been working with this product. Right. So you, you'd already, so it was already, had already been, I can't speak this morning. Let's try that again. I, we have, you have always been uh, working with Meraki basically since day one that you've been working with Jeffco. Um, and so it had already been essentially sold to, uh, to the county district um, at that point in time. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yes. When they brought me on as a full-time employee, I've been with the county now for about 11 years. I held uh, for the, the first four years, I I was brought on as a six-week temp in 2009 when the market crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was swapping memory and hard drives and desktop computers. And, you know, I just continued to apply myself uh, around the county and move up uh, and held quite a few different positions um, from software automation, deployment technology, to uh, rebuilding network communication rooms late at night, and then moving into the wireless network uh, role. Uh, but there is one thing, anyone that knows me knows that technology has been a part of my life since I was just a kid. You're, you're a passionate guy, I can tell. Do you, so you work with, um, so you've played around with tinkering with servers and PCs and, and upgrading stuff. Uh, before you got into networking as well. So you've got pretty broad IT experience, I suppose. Absolutely. Yep. And, 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 and I still do some of those tasks. Uh, even though I am a wireless network engineer, sometimes I'll build um, you know, a wireless supplicant to deploy out to machines with specific passwords. So a lot of the previous skills um, that I have have been useful even in this role. So it's one built on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. Uh-huh. And what what uh, what is the Meraki stack that you've got there? So you you obviously mentioned wireless. Uh, you, do you have anything else from the portfolio in there at the moment? Uh, absolutely. Um, we are Meraki wireless across the entire district. Uh, the Meraki switching is something we're trying to move to. Um, because, you know, the idea of the single pane of glass. Uh, we do have some Meraki cameras uh, dispersed throughout the county. Mm-hmm. And, and um, right now, with the, the current situation in the nation, the MX product line has just been an amazing addition uh, to Jeffco uh, because of its remote teleworker capabilities. We do have some of our buildings that... Uh, we've installed MXs because we do not have uh, fiber lines run to those buildings. Mm-hmm. So we tunnel all of their traffic in over a little DSL modem. Okay. So we still manage like fire control panels and, and door access um, as if it were on our network using the MX product line. Oh, those see. have been fantastic add-ons. That's actually a big topic I, I obviously wanted to talk on. I mean, you can't really avoid it at the moment. Um, that is what is going on with this virus and and how it's affected uh, your work. Well, what's the what's the sort of local situation in Denver look like right now? Well, the local situation in Denver is kind of hard for me to tell you from a first-person perspective because I've been in my house 27 days now. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. Um, Hopefully everyone else is, you know, doing what they can to to 
you know, keep distance and, and prevent the spread of this virus that we're currently dealing with. But, um, yeah. you know, the MX, the MXs have really been uh, very helpful um, with this situation because overnight we were able to stand up a Meraki MX in our data center uh, specifically dedicated to client VPN access. Mm -hmm. And so that is an additional tool that we have to offer remote accessibility into the data centers for file shares and other resources that people may need um, during this entire migration of remote learning, uh, remote access, uh, it's it's been very very crazy, mm. and that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about as well is how the school district has responded. Obviously, the, one of the big challenges that everybody has right now. You mentioned the work from home thing. I haven't counted the number of days, but I think it's it's largely competing with where you're at. Uh, it's just becoming a new way of life at the moment. But but um, I, I, one of the other big challenges, of course, is for parents and uh, and having to deal with uh, kids being home all the time as well as having to work from home. Uh, and the, 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 the school districts have, you know, the ability to certainly ease some of that burden and to try and keep some degree of normality for, for the kids. How has how the, uh, the school district responded from a kind of a technology perspective to try and help there? So from a technology perspective, a lot of these students use um, like Google, Google Drive, Google Classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, so they don't actually need VPN connections for that type of remote access because it's not really hosted inside of our data center. So any internet connection with their district provided device or any device that they do have um, is what they're currently using for, you know, remote learning. Mm -hmm. uh, I am more geared towards getting access to the people who need to talk to an internal server or our file shares or other restricted locations that are hosted within Jeffco. Um, so I, we don't have a lot of the remote learning coming in through our VPN connections mm -hmm. because it's all hosted out on the public web. Well, that makes sense. But I guess that means you've got to think about uh, split tunnel. Do you do like a split tunnel VPN setup typically? Or I guess um, for, the, for the kids, it doesn't really make any difference, right? They're just using their home internet and it's just going directly to Google servers if it's the Google Classroom service. Absolutely. But, um, you know... It, you bring up split tunneling, and ideally what we do is we try to keep them from split tunneling so that all of their traffic is being filtered through uh, our security appliances uh, with you know, malware protection um, and, and other services that we run on enterprise-grade equipment as opposed to, well, you can go to the internet to get the virus, and then you can bring it back into our file shares without it being inspected. Mm -hmm. So we try to keep them on a full tunnel configuration this way. Okay. Um, we're doing our best to secure the traffic that is coming in and out of our data centers. So the the um, the equipment, obviously the Meraki equipment's in the picture somewhere, and you mentioned the MX uh, a couple of times. Where are they actually deployed? Who has these in your organization, in your world? Physically, they are, so we have two data centers. Um, our site-to-site, -site, our physical hardware-to-hardware -hardware MX uh, deployment is redundant. Um, mm -hmm. Our software uh, solution 
it's kind of kind of funny because that isn't redundant. That was literally sitting on my desk when the panic of, oh my God, we're going to need a lot more remote connections. And I looked down at my desk and I said, well, I have an MX over here that we can dedicate to client VPN. Let's try that out. So I got with my data center architect. Um, we carved up a few subnets. We plugged it into the core. Uh, and then testing started the day before we went home. Um, so it is something that has been evolving uh, to add the security features and such to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it has been very useful in getting our IT departments uh, moved over to that solution uh, so that we can open up some more available connections on one of our other VPN solutions at this time. Mm. John, how yeah, Simon, I just, Go ahead, I just wanted to add real quick, this is Clint, the, uh, the fact that it went from being sitting on John's desk to deployed within several hours and increase the client VPN capacity from a few hundred knowledge workers to a few thousand in just a couple of hours really speaks to the power of how, you know, we were able to address a problem and a need directly, you know, for Jeffco very quickly. hundred percent. And and so presumably that means we've got some, uh, some good experience here, John, with, uh, with how he can help um, other school districts as well, potentially. Are, are you guys sort of working together? I'm sure there's a network of, uh, of people in a similar situation. Yeah, as far as other school districts, I mean, I, I haven't heard any communication from other school districts that are, you know, uh, reaching out, mm -hmm. asking any questions. Um, so uh, there isn't much collaboration at that okay. junction. Okay. I guess everybody's uh, trying to figure it out, is, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, before this all happened, um, it was it was pretty it was pretty much panic of, well, wait a minute. We're all going home. Everyone's going home, but business needs to function as normal. We're going to need to get some systems in place and yesterday. And, yeah. uh, you know, Clint brings up the fact that that MX was sitting on my desk. Um, we actually got that to attempt to span traffic because Meraki generates such wonderful reports in their dashboard that we were going to span our internet traffic through an MX450. And unfortunately, it wasn't built for that, but that is why it was sitting on my desk. Mm -hmm. And so um, we were able to just repurpose this appliance and go from chaos to here's a solution. Um, I think I was chaotically texting Clint too about hey can this do this hey, can we do this with that appliance can you know because it was an unknown for us at jeffco you know is this going to solve some of our connectivity issues and it turns out that it absolutely did and and, and this is when you say connectivity you're specifically referring to uh what is this like sd-wan or uh, are you talking about the vpns what what exactly the vpns yeah Okay. Yeah, so that we could, because we did not buy any sort of large um, MXs for our site-to-site uh, -site hardware based deployments, where we just have card access, or you know, uh, the fire control panels on these, basically a dormant building or a building that's not heavily used. Mm -hmm. um, those are not scaled up for 
high speed, high utilization, uh, thousands of clients. So that's why we just put the 450 in the data center and we said, you know what, if we absolutely need an additional 5,000 connections, we are ready. And so it was, um, it was the preparation, you know, so it has become a tool along with all of the other solutions that some of the other departments have come up with. And so we leverage each tool differently for what their needs are. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's something which you, you sort of learn as you go along to some degree, even you're going to figure out which, which things are really making your life easier, which is really a goal in a situation like we're in right now. Yeah, absolutely. The MX product line is, has been very, very helpful. One of the things that we did, and I'm very thankful that we did this um, prior to the, the COVID situation, was last year we got Z3s, uh, Meraki Z3s, mm -hmm. for all of our service desk employees and sent them home with an additional hard phone. And so... When everyone had to go home, our entire service desk was ready um, to accept phone calls from any phone queue uh, at their homes. And so moving that entire group of people out of the building was had already been done. And so there was a need to get some more, and we got some more of these MXs, and we, we still have some more Z3s on order um, but anyone that needs to move home and have a hard phone at their their house, we can accomplish that with the MX or Z3 product lineup. So yeah. it's helped out in that sense. It's helped out in the software client VPN sense. Um, it's been extremely helpful during the COVID response. It's great to hear. And and I know our own support team uh, use the same kind of approach where they can they can have a, a physical uh, VoIP phone that's securely connected back through um, through VPN, so it's a, it, it does provide that that sort of sense of um, you know business as usual really from a from a customer's perspective, whether that customer is a, a paying customer or just a, a user of the service that you're you're hosting for them. Yep, absolutely. And you mentioned uh, group policies in our um, chat before we came online, so uh, you've got a pretty substantial uh, group policy implementation. You want to talk us through some of that? I will do my best to, to <laughs> walk you through the group policy uh, with okay. only verbal cues here. Um, it is something that we leverage very, very heavily. Mm -hmm. um, so we have multiple networks. So we have our internal network, which is district-owned stuff. We have a BYOD network, which is basically you can bring your own stuff and use your AD, uh, AD credentials to authenticate to that SSID. So it's still secure. And then we have just a, a, a guest network. So those are kind of our three SSIDs that we broadcast to the world. Uh, but really on the back end, um, the VLANs that we have or subnets uh, for each of those, uh, I believe we have we have four in our internal, mm. and then I think we have t 13 in our BYOD, right? And then we have one in our guest, right? It's just the guest pool. So we use your AD credentials to trigger a radius response 
which then is sent back to Meraki. Meraki says, I see that response and you're going to get this VLAN. And it's all that happens in the dashboard. And then it puts them into the appropriate subnet that they belong in. Mm -hmm. uh, and we found some creative ways of using group policies as well. So that that's a pretty simple um, feature um, in Meraki, but you can actually you can do a lot of creative things with it. And one of the things that we've done is our network SSID default VLAN is one that does not exist on the switch and route infrastructure. So we call that the black hole. So if you don't match a policy, you go to the black hole, which is your traffic goes nowhere. Uh, you can't get an address, even if you statically assign, it doesn't even, it just doesn't even go anywhere. Right. And so uh, that is our VLAN 501. And, and when you hit that, we know something is either misconfigured or you're attempting to access the system and you're not authorized to do so. Uh, so we do leverage group policy a lot. Um, we've actually just added a IOT or Internet of Things, mm -hmm. uh, audio video VLAN. And, and this way we can kind of segment everything. It's all the same SSIDs on the front end, uh, but we're using a bunch of creative triggering with group policies to actually put you into, I think all in all total at each site, there's like 23 different wireless subnets on the back end. Wow. Okay. So what's your main motivator for that? You, you're trying to keep sort of broadcast domain size down or is it security? What's the focus for you? So there's a lot of reasons. So once you apply a group policy in Meraki, you can also do other unique things. So let's say we have a high school student come in with his Chromebook and he authenticates using his Active Directory credentials. What most people do not know is that we've triggered that that is a 12th grader. They're going to go into the VLAN specified for seniors. They get 25 megabits of data up and down, and they have different filtering rules in Meraki. Mm -hmm. and, and then even when it comes to our security appliances that live in our data centers, a senior may have different access to different websites based on the subnet that he's coming from. So when we talk elementary, preschool, kindergarten, um, you know, some of the younger grades, they may have a different set of rules. Mm -hmm. They may have less bandwidth or uh, less access to YouTube or we block Netflix or so we can really leverage the group policy in Meraki to do some unique things for us. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely essential, I think, as well. With a, with a school environment, it's pretty hard to imagine uh, any group that maybe challenges a network quite as much as, uh, as uh, school kids do. I'm sure you get, I'm sure you've got some stories there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One other thing I would say with the, the group policy is that we can also add firewall rules where we block basically host to host communication uh, on the student networks. So mm -hmm. they can't talk to each other from a digital perspective, right? right? right. They can't uh, attack that IP address because we do not allow them to talk host to host. 
and we use that uh, feature in Meraki, basically just firewall the rules. Mm -hmm. So they can go to the internet, they can get to these resources, uh, but they can't talk to somebody else because that person's not defined in the firewall rule list. And it doesn't have to go all the way up the WAN chain to get that rule. It happens right at the access point. Right, I see. So that's, there's an awful lot to this, and, and it's a lot to manage even with, uh, with the Meraki dashboard. So I, I know that you've been uh, looking at APIs uh, as a potential way of, of helping with that, and that's a really exciting area I think a lot of people are interested in right now is this development in the world of network administration from you know using a bespoke management tool to something which you can integrate more at a software level. Um, what, what, are you, what, are you, what are some of your thoughts around, around APIs as they apply in your own environment? So Meraki opening up the API years ago was just absolutely phenomenal. So when we, when we became a Meraki customer, I remember when um, the model was, you know, we've got to keep it super simple. We don't want to give out too, in, too much information. Um, so at points, I had a hard time even finding out what revision of firmware some of my access points were on, you know, six years ago. Mm. Um, I'm so glad that Meraki has really, really just stayed with the times. And now the API is such a powerful tool. So with us having 160 buildings, and then we have other networks for our MXs, um, we just have tons of basically Meraki networks in the dashboard, the ability to write a little bit of code that goes in and says, oh, you want to add an AV VLAN to all 160 networks, but it may exist at four or five different places, but you don't want to duplicate it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you write a little bit of Python and then uh, you can run API commands to replicate firewall rules from one network to another, or uh, just completely add all new firewall rules or group policies. Um, and so it's it's become a valuable tool. If we only had three networks, it wouldn't be that big of a deal to manually do it. But once you get into the 160, 100, go 50 plus, that's, mm. that's a huge undertaking. And you also eliminate the repetitive possibility of human error when you script it and that we know that that's the number one cause of network downtime right that's that's a legendary uh, a legendary fact about network administration i think i definitely remember oh, I'm that. Guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, we all are we've all I'm got stories you know what? we've all we're well, all fat fingered well, something or uh <laughs> cut off cut off a part of the network that we didn't want to cut off i'm sure that uh, we don't want to admit those on air but um We've all got those stories. Well, Simon, I, I, one other thing I want to add here too. Even before we had opened up the API, you know, John in, and the Jeffco team has been such a great customer for a long time, but they kind of built their own tools to do things like visual basic scripting mm -hmm. uh, yes. in web browsers to like take care of some of these automated tasks in the past. And anyway, John could oh my goodness. Tell, yes. tell some stories on this as well. Oh, Clint, you're bringing me back, buddy. You're bringing me back. <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. So before the API existed, if you wanted to do a mass naming of your access points 
add the address, tick the checkbox that says move the map marker to the map address, uh, and then save it and go to the next access point, I came up with basically it was vector-based macro scripting that triggered off of specific images and mouse pointer locations. Um, and so it would search for the access point by its MAC address and it would say, I found the MAC address. Let me take the name from this spreadsheet, put the name in the name field, take the address from the spreadsheet, put that in the, um, in the address field, tick the marker to move the access point from San Francisco to the address specified in that address field and then save the changes. When you have 7,000 wireless access points, hand typing or copy pasting that is a nightmare. Mm. So before the API was opened up, that was how it was done. And I would literally just let my computer sit there for the whole day, renaming and moving access points when we did our first implementation. It is not the same anymore. Yeah, that's a, that sounds like a huge... Well, I mean, I, I know that uh, it was designed originally to, to try and pr provide as sort of graphically intuitive a way of doing things as possible. But yeah, at scale, that's that's definitely going to be painful. Um, so the the uh, I think one of the things with APIs, I, I would count myself in this as well. I never used them as part of my... during my time as a network admin. Um, so I'm a little scared of this stuff. It freaks me out a little bit. I want to see, uh, you know, direct impact through a management tool that I'm working through at the time. And I'm sure there are others who feel sort of similar to that that maybe haven't started their API journey yet. I mean, John, what would you say, what, what advice would you would you give? Um, build a Meraki test network for your home or use some of the tools that are available, uh, but do not test your scripts on a massive infrastructure right. because if, if it goes wrong, it's going to go wrong and you're not going to be happy. And so literally every script that I build, I test on a, in a test environment or on my home Meraki setup. And I go, okay, that worked. All right. I feel good. But every time before I hit, um, you know, to execute this script on Jeffco's networks, I'm like, oh, please, oh, please, don't mess up, don't mess up, right. you know, because it's just that anxiety you have when you're making such a massive change. Yep, and I can I can completely relate to that. How did you even teach yourself the uh, the, the sort of Python skills, or did you did you have those already before you even started in this type of work? You know, in all honesty, it was working with one of my previous Meraki SEs. Um, you know, I, I used to meet with him on a regular basis. We would, you know, do a little bit of Python for, you know, this idea or that idea or how can we build this. And those are some of the, the basic um, tools that really started to show me, okay, well, if I modify this, then I can... I can apply this API call or Python call to this part of the dashboard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've done a little bit of training. I've done some online courses, you know, grab a, grab a book, grab a Raspberry Pi um, and build something with it and learn basic Python. Once you, once you get a little bit of that down, um, the, the APIs and the calls that you're making uh, to and from the Meraki dashboard, 
uh, become a bit easier. Mm. You, you just become more comfortable with it. Yeah, and I think your advice about starting small and just on your own network before you go crazy, very, very good one. Very good piece of advice. Um, one thing that I yeah. am absolutely looking forward to with the API, um, Jeffco's coming up into a wireless refresh here pretty soon, and we want to um, we want to move to Wi-Fi six. And so one of the things that we're going to do to leverage the API is typically we have a vendor go pull the old access point off, put the new access point in the ceiling, plug it in, and it's done. And then the dashboard just has MAC addresses through it, and we've got to rename the access point. We've got to place it on the map. We've got to put the address in. We've got to go through all of that um, heartache again. Mm -hmm. And so with the API, what we are looking forward to being able to do is – use an API call that says, here's the old serial number of the access point in the ceiling currently. Here's the serial number of the new access point. Replicate the AP. And so once we have the list of serial numbers that are old and the serial numbers are new, we just basically run a script and it will copy every value from the old access point to the new access point. Obviously values that are able to be copied, but we're looking forward to being able to leverage that and make the next rollout even easier than it was last time. Yeah, you had a great quote around uh, the upcoming wireless refresh conversation, didn't you? Yes, I was talking to uh, uh, one of the guys um, that that's handling, you know, some of the scheduling and planning, um, and I actually jotted it down last week for this whole thing because. Uh, I said to him, dude, it's Meraki. This is going to be cake. <laughs> it's a great quote. I think we have to save that one, Clint. Um, oh, okay. for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, wireless Health, I wanted to talk to you about that because I know you you listened to our last podcast we, where we were talking to Scott, um, one of the product managers on, uh, on our wireless uh, product. Uh, John, so tell us um, tell us what you um, are, are exploring on that side of things, and and your, what your experience has been with that tool. Well, first and foremost, high five to Scott for building such a wonderful tool. Um, that was a savior for us uh, about a, I want to say a year ago, but then again, I've been in my house for twenty seven days, and I'm not sure time frames. Yeah. Um, but basically, we replaced our uh, layer three uh, switches at all of our facilities. And there were a couple of our larger schools, our high schools. And they would attempt to get a DHCP address between 9 and 10 in the morning. And at nine 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, using wireless health, everything showed healthy, happy, you know, 98%, 96% uh, success rate on authentication all the way through. And then between 9.30 and 10 o'clock in the morning, we would see this massive spike and we would see 30% DHCP, uh, DHCP lease times being distributed. Only 30% of them were getting through. Hmm. And we found that after replacing all of the layer three switches, at the 
at our sites that something was misconfigured in those devices. It had nothing to do with wireless. It had nothing to do with DHCP. It had everything to do with the route that it was taking to get to the centralized DHCP servers. Uh And so it was an absolute, I mean, that saved us a lot of time. And we were able to go, well, it's definitely something happening at this time. Packet capture started going. Like we were able to resolve it much, much faster than if we didn't have that access, if we didn't have that tool. Yeah, because you you would uh, there's a real danger that you'd end off uh, going down a rabbit hole with a completely different issue, thinking it's it's that rather than what it actually is. If you don't have that insight. Oh, I think everyone in technology is has chased the rabbit down the wrong hole. Oh yeah. I mean, step number one: see if it's plugged in. And I'll be honest with you, I have failed at that. Yep, <laughs> and, and and it can be it can be hours if you're not careful. I think. <laughs> It's, yep. it's, it's hard. The Ethernet cable is not clicked in. Oh, <laughs> right. well, man, I've been running packet captures for two hours wondering what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And you're getting packet loss and you and maybe you just got a kink in your cable that's not quite right. It's, it's There's just so many variables. But yeah, the, the physical layer checks are so, so important in this game for sure. Yeah. So that tool was, was awesome for, for actually being able to, to test and... One of the cool things is, is I, I've seen that now that lives, there's wireless health for the clients now. Mm-hmm. And that's in, incredible. I, now I can drill down to, okay, well, this client was connected at this time and the user reports that at 1133, they had an issue. Well, now wireless health exists for the client. Did they not get a DHCP response? Was there a poor roam? You know, what were they trying to access? And mm-hmm. and so it's awesome to see that even that tool go from access point level to client level now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing stuff. Yeah, because at the end of the day, the clients are the ones that matter in this whole game. We're, we're trying to make sure they have the best experience they can. Uh, and there are so many variables that, that can potentially impact that. Of course, the end users, unless they're super technical, they're just going to assume it's a Wi-Fi issue. It's a very, very common experience. Um, I, I hear that in, in my own home, so I know it's very common. Oh, absolutely. When you're the number one used medium to get to the Internet, it's always your fault. <laughs> and so how can you how can you troubleshoot it very, very quickly and then give the end user that may not be technical, um, a reason, right? Here, here's what happened, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And yeah. something they understand. If you just say, oh, well, you know, do an NS lookup with this DNS and, oh, that's absolutely the problem. The bind isn't working, blah, blah, blah. You know, they don't understand that. Yeah, we have them focused on other things, thankfully. So that's our, that's, that's our job to make their lives easier. Um, I, I, one of the things which uh, was really interesting to me in, uh, when we were talking through the show before we hit the record button was uh, this event that you run. Uh, so uh, Jeff Con, is that right? Did I get the name right? Yes, Jeff Con. Tell us all about Jeff Con because this, this is a fascinating concept. I hadn't come across this before. Um, so for, for one of our customers to be kind of running their own, their own event of this nature. Well, so I'm, I'm very passionate about uh, Jeff Con. Um, it started three years ago. And 
it was brought to my attention. I was like, absolutely. I want to participate. I want to, I want to do that. And so what it is, uh, as an IT professional, when I need training or there's a conference in town or Cisco's got a new product or Meraki's got a new product, right? They have a little convention or, and then they showcase this, or you can go and take different classes for the day. Uh, what is it? Uh, not Cisco live. Mm. Clint, can you correct me? Yes. Cisco connect. So, you know, we as professionals get to go to these events to advance our knowledge. Well, we're part of the education sector. So why would we not want to host an event in which the students can do the same things that we IT professionals do? And so Meraki has been basically helped me out every year do something special for uh, high school age students that are interested in going to the technology sector as soon as they graduate or they go into college for it, um, but it's to give them enterprise exposure to what is available in the world. And it is an amazing event. It's an all-day thing that we host at headquarters, and I believe we have about 200 or so kids every year that come and attend this, and Meraki's been part of it every year with me. That's a really interesting concept. So how let's imagine the experience from the from the kids perspective then what are they sitting down and playing with um so last year well 2019 i decided to do a wireless access point lab Mm -hmm. for students to be able to configure their own ssid connect to it um and and just kind of see what it's like to set up an enterprise-grade wireless network well one of the things there were a couple of things that I did not think through very, very well. A, 30 access points in one room is a really bad RF <laughs> profile. <laughs> All right, good luck. It, it, B, when you have keyword containment turned on in your corporate environment and the instructions for every one of these students is to create a network with the na- a name that is contained in your containment keyword list of your corporate building, it starts an all out war of containment. So we had to power down the lab pretty quickly because Wi-Fi, it was a disassociation storm in that area of the building and it was bad, but uh, this is the, the, sorry to interrupt you. This is the feature um, we have in air marshal, which is, which is there to help to protect uh, yes. against the rogue SSIDs. So what you're yes. talking about when you say containment, you're talking about a keyword that you can look out for uh, to make sure that users can't potentially spoof a network and get uh, and, and try and use that for nefarious purposes. So that sounds like great fun for kids once they get their hands on that one. Yeah, uh, that that is exactly what happened. Uh, basically, I had the students create a network called JeffCon, uh, and our corporate building is set to contain anything that contains the word Jeffco, because if it's not a Meraki access point, then it's not a, an approved access point, and we don't want someone spoofing our network, so we contain that. Uh, that created quite a problem, but lesson learned with that one, uh, and then 
so we moved to this year and Clint was actually a part of this year, which was amazing. We decided to go with the full stack experience. Instead of just doing a wireless, we did the full stack. We did an MX for the head end or your layer three. Uh, we had an MS uh, for your switching. We had an MR, Meraki Wireless, uh, where they also contained, uh, not contained, but uh, configured a wireless network. And then we had cameras uh, that they got to see themselves um, on while they configured all of this gear in 90 minutes. Wow. MR, MS, MX, MV in 90 minutes. And these are students also, um, you know, who have never, many of them had never touched a network outside of maybe their home routers before. Um, and they're configuring entire stacks of gear in that quick, that quickly. It was very cool. Did uh, Clint, did, did uh, John put you to work as well on this? Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> It was it was a lot of fun. Like I got to I got to help teach um, this lab with with John. It was a great experience for sure. Very different world. Oh, for, I uh, ask, Go on, John. I always ask Clint to get in the trenches. If I've got to get muddy and dirty, uh, and I need help, I know that I can ask Clint, and he'll be there. <laughs> Sorry, Clint. That's just our relationship, buddy. <laughs> I'm happy about it. It's great. Go team. Happy to do it. I'm just trying to imagine it being so so much easier for uh, for school kids to learn this stuff now because they'll have had experience playing around. I'm sure with some some uh, home routers, perhaps to to set up Wi-Fi networks and 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 to see it translate so easily into into let's call it the world of work. I mean, very very different to a command line era. So I'm sure that uh, you got to get them on APIs next year, uh, maybe John. You know, that that very well may be the direction that I head uh, next year, but it's always hosted in January, so I've got a little bit of time. I've got, what, eight more months? But, um, you know, one of the coolest things about that is they got the full stack done prior to the 90-minute timer going off and them needing, them needing to go to their next um, session. And I got a lot of really great inquisitive questions um, from a couple of the students that were wanting to know about how do you carve up a subnet? What's wow. a public IP versus a private IP? And so you can tell these kids that they are interested. And so the fact that they get this exposure uh, to, to real networking equipment and real networking professionals, and they can ask those questions and we have answers for them, uh, I really feel like we're providing a very, very valuable thing uh, to these students and being in the K through 12 sector is, I mean, that's our job. Absolutely. Try and, ins try and inspire and get them excited. Um, and, and you may have said this, John, what, what age group are we talking about here who are asking some of these <laughs> searching questions about public and private IP addresses and subnetting. So I missed just a little part of your question there, Simon. Can you repeat that? Yeah, the, the, I'm just curious about the the sort of age of the kids who are uh, who are doing this, and and um, and and you know particularly ones who are interested in asking some of those more advanced questions. Uh, so basically, it's uh, it's something that you apply through uh, your school, and 
it's high school students only. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had some, you know, freshmen, ninth graders, uh, but I, it's typically geared more towards, you know, 11th grade and 12th grade, uh, because they're the ones that are going to be going out into the world of technology right. uh, much sooner. Um, but I have had every one of those four grades in my sessions. Sometimes uh, Clint and I even hosted a, uh, a Wi-Fi 6 versus 5G because those are two wow. very, very big buzzwords. Uh, but what is the common understanding of the two? Mm-hmm. Because I would hear 5G is just, oh, so much better than Wi-Fi. And it's like the two of them together are going to be an amazing addition to technology. Right. But, and so that's where we kind of held a Q&A with a little bit of, you know, here's what this one does. Here's what that one does. Uh, and so we were able to share that knowledge. And uh, that session was packed. I can believe it. I mean, that's, it's such a popular, um, we, we've heard about it so much in the media, all the 5G and Wi-Fi thing. Uh, it's good to sprinkle some reality on all of that and see how they actually complement one another, I think. So it's really not just a one or one or the other thing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Keeping well, people informed. Totally. And that's, that's, uh, that's part of, well, I mean, that's what education is all about, isn't it? Um, Okay, let's let's start moving things towards a, a close. I think I think the last thing I wanted to ask you, John, was, uh, you know, obviously you've had a lot of experience with Meraki over many years now, and that's very clear from some of the stories you've walked us through. I mean, what would you want others who are listening to the podcast to know about Meraki and any so any advice you'd have for them? Um, well, I mean, one of the things that there are a couple of things that really continue to just make Meraki an amazing product for me. So I come from the infancy of Meraki before Cisco even had purchased it. Mm. And so I look at the set of dashboard features that are available today versus then, and you guys did not increase my license costs. You didn't change anything. You didn't release a feature and say, well, if you want that, you're going to need to pay me extra per access point. So basically the fact that the dashboard controls the access point, as long as the access point is capable of running the new features that the engineers are diligently working on at Meraki, then I get access to new tools as they become available. And so that's, I don't have to do a major code upgrade. I don't have to go rip my controller out of my building and say, well, I need this controller so that I can have a la carte channel planning or I can enable DFS. It, it just becomes available to me as you guys release it. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, and this one has been what is just monumental to me personally and professionally, is the support that I get from Meraki. The fact that, I mean, Clint's on this call, and Clint was at JeffCon with me. I've had Alex Berger at JeffCon uh, previously. Um, Meraki always shows up. Um, my engineers and I will sometimes come up with a crazy idea, the MX450. Let's span all of the internet traffic through its 10-gig interfaces to generate reports that we can present to the Board of Ed. That's kind of a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. Well, we got the equipment, and then we couldn't figure out why it wasn't doing it. 
And then we just dialed the phone number and got enterprise support. And they go, what can I help you with? And walk through our idea with us. Doesn't mean it's always going to work, but it means that they're always available to, to help you out with something you may not understand about their product line or steer you in the right direction. So the support hands down is got to be one of the biggest things that from a customer perspective, like I just really, really, I can rely on you guys. And that is huge. I can just imagine if you're responsible for the kind of scale that you're describing, uh, just having the confidence there, regardless of what the vendor is, whether it's Meraki or any of the others that you partner with, I think just having confidence is is absolutely essential because you are leaned on pretty heavily. Uh, like at the IT organizations, it's easy to forget this because we've been hearing it for so long. You, we're really at the very heart of what makes pretty much any business or organization tick. So I, I think that's great to hear uh, those stories, John, to, to hear your confidence as well shining through there. That's super awesome. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap things up. John, I want to thank you and, and Clint as well. Thank you both very much for taking the time to join us uh, on the show today. It's really been uh, exciting to hear some of the real world applications of our technology and how it's making a difference in what is a pretty challenging time as well for all of us. Uh, so, John, again, thank you so much for, for sharing what you did with us today. You're very welcome, Simon. And thank you very much for asking me to be uh, on the podcast. I, I've enjoyed this. Yeah, it's I mean, it's not super easy when you're all sort of thousands of miles apart from each other. And we've done our best today. I think that's uh, that's true for sure. And we we're very, very keen to have anybody who's listening, uh, who's interested in sharing some of their stories, uh, join us on this as well. So I, I mentioned at the beginning how you can. Uh, reach out to us and communicate about that the community is probably the best place to do that uh, but i'd love to hear from you as directly as well let us know what you think of the show and how we can make it better and of more interest to you directly uh, so reach out to me at twitter on um, well my twitter handle to at meraki simon so we're going to wrap up today's podcast uh, once again john and clint thank you so much and we will be back again in a couple more weeks with another show and we look forward to that very much. So we'll see you back here very soon. Bye for now.